You know, growing up, I uh, may have told you before, but I went through uh, 12 years of Christian school, uh, eight years as Lansing Christian uh, Warrior, and uh, then I went on to Ileana for four more years. Well, after I went to Ileana, I decided that, you know, it was time to move out, expand my horizon, so I went off to school in Wyoming to a secular college. It was as far away as my mom and dad would let me go. But um, the first class I took in Wyoming, I'm in class, and the teacher is teaching, and for 45 minutes, I'm not paying attention because I'm waiting for him to pray. Because for 12 years, that's what had happened. Every, every morning, they opened up with prayer. And I'm going, come on, when's Mr. Crookshank going to pray? And he never did. Um, so that was my bubble. And uh, when I got into student ministry, I thought, well, okay, I'm, I'm the youth pastor at the church. And I will just do youth ministry. And the kids will come. And I will help them grow deeper. And my uh, senior pastor at the time, he said, you know, you need to get in the public schools. Oh, I need to get in the public schools? The only public high school I had been in was when my high school played in a public school. That was it. I had never really been in a public high school. And uh, with the encouragement of my senior pastor and Harry Beamer, they said, you know, you got to get into the schools. Expand that. And so I, how do you do that? Separation church and state, how do you get into the public schools? And so I went to a conference and I took a um, course and it was like how to get out of the church, how do you, you know. And one of the things they said was try to get in the public school and wash tables in the lunchroom. And I mentioned that to some people and they said, are you out of your mind? Do you know what a public high school lunchroom looks like? No, I, I, I didn't, but I, I sat down with the principal at the time, and I said, hey, hey can, how, how do I get into the school? I'll volunteer. I'll do whatever. And he kind of looked at me, and he said, I'm going to tell you something. I had a youth pastor come in here a few years ago from another church, and that youth pastor said he wanted to speak, speak on drugs and alcohol. And so I let him speak on drugs and alcohol, but when he spoke on drugs and alcohol, he had an altar call. He goes, that doesn't go over real well in a public school. And he goes, I almost lost my job. So I'm very hesitant to have you come in here. I said, okay, I can understand that. What are the boundaries? What are the rules that you will set up? I will abide by them. And so he, he laid down some groundwork. And I said, all right, I can do that. And it has been amazing for me because now um, I've been in the public schools, washing tables, doing all sorts of things. They've opened up doors for 22 years. And what God has done when I have uh, uh, followed the leadership that God has put in place in a public school and not broken those rules, God says, those rules don't mean anything. I can open doors. It's amazing. And so it has really been a blessing for me. Now, for the last year and a half at Bethel Cedar Lake, our, um, we have tried to become more prayerful, missional, relational. That has been our theme. That has been our purpose. That is the identity that we want to take on as a church, to be more prayerful, to be more missional, to be more relational. So what does that look like as we strive to be a church that is that? 
You know, because we all have some kind of identity that is tied to us. Maybe it's your favorite sports team. Maybe you wear a lot of Chicago Bears gear or Chicago Blackhawks gear. And people know you to be a fan of that team. Some of us are identified with our job. You're the tech guy. You do this. You do that. And so you have that identity. We uh, have different identities. Maybe um, your child, that's, that's my kid. Maybe you even want your identity to be linked to a certain political party. We've seen that happen in the last few years. Or you want to be tied to a certain theological belief. I really believe this, and I'd love to teach that class sometime, and I get that. You know, when our kids are little, um, they are identified as being our child. But when they get older, in my case, I'm being identified as Amber and Taylor's dad. It switches. But as a follower of Christ, our first identity should not necessarily be that as a Christian. And as I say that, some of you go, wait, well, wait a second. I think Christian is a term that is loosely used in the world today. We need to be identified as a follower of Christ. Because that is different than what the world is seeing as a Christian. When we are a follower of Christ... All all of our other identities, our sports teams, our job, our parenting, whatever that looks like, should take second and third place. But as a follower of Christ, that is what our identity should be first and foremost. Now, Sarah read our passage where we're going to kind of land at, and that's Colossians 4, 2 through 6. But I wanted to start out by reading the first part of the book of Colossians. Not the whole book, but just part of it. Colossians 1, 3 through 14. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints." In light, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul starts out this letter to the Colossian church with this address. He's saying these things here. And he says um, a few notes to look at our passage that we, as we read it. He says, just as you learned from Epaphras. Now, most people don't name their firstborn male child Epaphras. 
But Epaphras has a really cool story because he was an unbeliever. He was in prison for not being a nice guy. And somebody cared about him enough to pour into his life that he came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And now he is a minister in the church. It is believed also that he was so bold with his faith that he was martyred for his faith. Now Paul mentioned this. He says, thanksgiving and prayer are mentioned. Walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. He delivered you from the dominion of darkness. Transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's how he starts it. Now he bookends the end of the book to the Colossian church. And he talks about what he talked about at the beginning. He wants them to get it. And so for Colossians 4, in verse 2, it says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Prayerful, missional, relational. Prayer is the first quality or characteristic that we should be identified as. As an individual follower of Christ, that should be an identity that we have. And steadfast is a word that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago. The steadfastness of God, that God doesn't change. He's saying, be steadfast in prayer. Stay relentless in prayer. Believing brother or sister here today, we're called to pray. And to be devoted in prayer. To be persistent in prayer. A gritty determination to pray. And yes an unwillingness to quit praying just because we don't get the answer we want. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. And some of you guys are going, well, I've got a job. I can't pray all day. Others of you, you are saying, you know, I go to school. I, I can't pray all day. My knees are bad. I can't be on my knees praying all day. It's not what he's saying here. Our lives should be lives that have a prayerful attitude all the time. Attitude that acknowledges the dependence of God. That acknowledges his presence and wants to obey him fully no matter what. As Taylor spoke, to obey him even in the tough times. That prays frequently and spontaneously and I'm not saying when you drive down the road that you should have your eyes closed as you're praying no that's dangerous but instead what if we're offering a prayer for that dumb driver that cuts us off later this afternoon and we want to say that they are a very dumb driver that just cut us off and go into a rant instead of doing that what if we prayed for them Take on a little bit different aspect. A prayerful attitude happens when we have regular times of prayer molded into our day. So can I ask you, do you have a dedicated time of prayer during your day? Do you have a a list of things to pray for where, where you stop and you say, now I'm going to pray, don't bother me. I'm going to spend time with my Lord, and as you pray, you pray through different things. Do you have that built in 
to your time of day. Because the spontaneous prayer and the frequent short prayers will be a result of the committed times of prayer. Prayer will be something that is an attitude that you have all the time. And he says, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Be alert to see what God is doing in your life. And I think we so many times miss that. Oh, that was a coincidence. No, that was God. We, we need to look for him. We pray in the morning and then something happens and we go on during the day. And, and we forget that we actually prayed for it instead of being watchful and in thanksgiving. Watch how God answers your prayers. Maybe it's going to be a yes. Maybe it's going to be a flat out no. Maybe it's going to be later. And we see how here Paul tells the church, the Colossian church, to be thankful. He told them at the beginning of the letter, and now he repeats it here. We all know love in some way, shape, or form. But this love is the best of all. God's love for us. God taking us out of the dominion of darkness. Remember, when you were born, you weren't automatically going to heaven. But God took you out of the dominion of darkness. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he revealed his son to you. And you accepted that truth. It's understanding the promises of God. It's living in the hope of Jesus Christ. All of which we need to be thankful to God for. And not one and done. Let me say this. If you, the last time, if the last time it was that you told your spouse that you love them was on your wedding day, you need to be in the next few uh, marriage seminars that Sky and Jared are doing. But what about our salvation in Jesus Christ? Is that how you start your prayer someday, most days? Shouldn't we do that? Thank you for sending your son. I'm going to live in that today. Thank you. It's not one and done. It's a continual thing. And Paul says here to the church, I need your prayer. Pray for me. The Apostle Paul is asking the lay people of the Colossian church to pray for him. And I would ask you as well, pray for the leaders of your church. We need your prayers. I probably need them more than the rest of the staff. But we need your prayers. And so I would encourage you, just as Paul says, pray for me. Pray for us. And what he does here is he sets the example and he says, pray for me that the door may be opened up for me to declare the mystery of the gospel of which I am in chains. Paul is in jail. He says, pray for me uh, that doors may be opened for me to declare the mystery of the gospel. He's a prisoner in Rome and he doesn't say, pray for me that the doors of this jail cell are going to be opened up. He says, pray that I can share the mystery of the gospel. What's the mystery of the gospel? 
I think he's referring to maybe one of two or potentially two things. You know, in uh, Ephesians 6.19, it says, the deepest doctrines of Christ. Was he in prison right now and he had been sharing the gospel of Jesus and some of the prisoners that he was with were saying, I need more. I need you to go deeper. I need to know this. I need to know that. Or was he praying about the mystery of Christ? As the prophets had foretold the coming of Jesus, the Old Testament, they foretold it. They didn't exactly know what it would look like. They knew it was going to happen, and they foretold that. But then the mystery of Christ was revealed at Calvary. So now we know that. But he was praying that he could share the gospel in prison. Why is Paul in prison anyway? Well, because he was sharing the gospel outside of prison. And he says, help that I will proclaim it clearly. Paul knew how to speak as well as anybody knew how to speak. He knew how to write wonderfully. But he says, would you pray for me that I'll make it clear? Because I have the greatest story to tell. And I want it to be clear. And he asked God to open the door to share the gospel. When was the last time that you personally prayed in the morning and said, God, would you give me an opportunity to share Jesus Christ in some way today? It's a scary prayer. As I was working on this sermon, I was putting some notes together, and I like to put my messages together weeks in advance and kind of let it marinate like steak, if you can really let it marinate. And it was a Saturday morning. My message is marinating, and I know what I'm supposed to be talking about. And Shelly and I have a busy day. Oh, by the way, I'm not going to mention that it's her birthday today, but it is. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, we had a busy day, and... I I like to go to the gym, and I like the gym because there's a lot of people there that are not believers. And I work in an office where everybody's a Christian. Everybody's a follower of Christ, so I have no chance to witness in my office. Um, but anyway, so I'm in the gym, and this Saturday I just wanted to get in and get out. I didn't really want to talk to anybody. I love talking to people, but, you know, we had a busy day. And I'm working out, and I see the door open, Here's a guy that I have talked to numerous times. We've had lunch together. He's not a believer in any, any way, shape, or form. And he walks in, and so I'm doing my exercises, and I kind of close my eyes. And like, <laughs> I don't want to make eye contact, all right? Open my eyes. There's two feet right in front of me. Hi, buddy. Hey. How you doing? He goes in to tell me how terrible his health has turned, and he has some heart condition which can't be cured, and he's going into all of that, and I want to get out of the gym, and I just want to go, and I don't want to talk about it. And so I told him, I said, hey, bro, I'll pray for you. Oh, you always tell me that. Have a blessed day. And it's like, and then the Holy Spirit gets a hold of me. <laughs> That's not, it's never a good thing when you don't want to. It's like I'm in this battle. I'm going, no, I want to go. My wife's waiting for me. I want to go. And so I followed the Holy Spirit over to the other side of the gym. <laughs> 
And um, I knew I had to ask him a question. I said this, with all of your health problems, how are you resolving the end of your life on this earth? And he kind of looked at me. And I said, you know where I stand with Jesus that I believe it's in faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone that you go to heaven? I said, but take me out of the equation. The Muslims, they got to do this. How do you resolve? He goes, well, here's what it is. I become part of the universe. And he went on to tell me all about, he's a nuclear physicist, one of the most incredibly smart minds I know scientifically. Now, I'd like to tell you that he prayed the prayer of salvation that morning, but he didn't. But I will tell you this. It was a great opportunity to once again share Jesus. And I don't save anybody. It's God's working in his heart that God will save him, not me. But it was an opportunity. And Ephesians 6.15, Jesus says, The days are evil. Understand the will of God. How do we know the will of God? We spend time in Bible studies. We spend time Sunday school. We have Verge, Awana, small groups, Sunday morning worship. We start to get into God's word and start to understand more and more what God wants from us. But I sadly fear there's many Sunday mornings that maybe you, like myself, feel very warm and well-fed when we walk out of here. The church is got this country club atmosphere where we like to be because we are around people that are like-minded. We are not around people who are going to become part of the universe. Thanks for saving me, and that is good news, but it's not good enough news to share. That's the pastor's job. That's the elder's job. That's the deacon's job. It's not mine. And we have a responsibility, as Paul tells us here. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. When you walk... You are in the presence of someone. You can have conversation. It's slow. You're not running. You're walking. You have conversation. When you walk, you are in the presence of those around you. Conduct yourselves wisely towards the outsiders. Use your godly wisdom when you are around outsiders. What you've learned in here, take it out there. But too many times, we are intimidated by the world outside, sometimes it's with their bad language. We don't want to be identified with that crowd. What if I'm standing around with a bunch of people and they're dropping the F-bomb and they're doing this and that? Are people going to think that's the way I talk? So we don't get into that circle, do we? We are afraid maybe that their language is like COVID and we're going to catch it. Godly wisdom. That's what he says. Making the most of your time. How do you make the most of your time? How do you engage people who do not know Christ in conversation? I'm going to tell you something. People love to talk about themselves. 
They do. It's, and, and I have numerous stupid book questions, okay? And, and there are all sorts of things. And what I will do is when I go into the middle school especially, middle school kids, she's love to talk. And uh, I'll go into the middle school and I'll say, hey, number one through 500, and they'll pick number 350. And it's like, um, what's your favorite, food fa- favorite fast food restaurant and why? Oh, 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 I like McDonald's because of the chicken nuggets. Great. And then the next person at the table starts to answer a question. And then you go in the next time. And Hey, I need a question of the day. What would you change if you were king of the world? That's a tough question. Don't you have any more fast food questions? (laughs) But you know the cool thing is? It starts conversation. And they start to look for you to come in. What's the question of the day? It starts conversation. More and more conversation. Be wise towards outsiders. And we need to understand something, that the lifestyle and the language of those that we may fear, they really don't care about their language, or they don't know any better, or they don't know about their lifestyle because they have lived in a world that lacks biblical truths. Let your speech, he says, always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Remember, Grace is something that we received from our Heavenly Father. So we need to return it to others. Kind and courteous to others. Invite interaction. Bring your neighbors some cookies. Hey, I brought you some cookies. No, you have like 10 kids. Here's some cookies. Shelly has a garden. And it's an amazing garden. Um... And so earlier in the summer, she had lettuce, and one of our neighbors, we're talking to him. You want some lettuce? Yeah, we love lettuce. So she gives him some lettuce. About two weeks later, same neighbor, she comes walking out to the garden. The neighbor's waiting at the fence for her. Hey, do you have any more lettuce? I was waiting for you. Interaction. It's easy. Uh, um, Let your speech Invite others. Bring veggies. I remember uh, Pastor Jared has talked about it, a former pastor. Do a prayer walk in your neighborhood. Just pray for the people in your neighborhood. It opened up this one door uh, years ago as our senior pastor prayed the neighborhood. Well, he runs into this guy, and the guy says, what are you doing? He goes, I'm praying for the neighborhood. What do you do? I'm a pastor, blah, blah, blah. This guy starts to come to church. Because of praying in the neighborhood, right? And um, he's coming to church, growing in his faith, and he's watching the people in the church. And when there's a point that's being made, people go, Amen! Hallelujah! Well, his language wasn't the best. Yeah. Harry, can I say that word? <laughs> So one day, he's sitting in the service, pastor makes this great point, and he goes, hell yes. Whole congregation stops. And he is like, oh no. So he comes up to pastor afterwards, and he goes, you know, I should not have said that. And pastor goes, you're right. You should not have said that. But 
like seeing what God's doing in your life. Gracious, being gracious to him. He didn't know any better, but yet seasoned with salt. No, you shouldn't be doing that. Can I tell you a little bit about that man? He became a deacon in the church, and he eventually moved to Arizona and helped with an adult ministry in Arizona. Prayer walk. Your testimony of what God has done in your life is a powerful tool. And don't think it's not. We always wait for these incredible stories about the drug dealer with a gun to his head, the gun jams. He comes to know Jesus. Fantastic. But I've had students say to me, my testimony is boring. I grew up in the church. I got baptized. I'm following the Lord. That's not a boring testimony. That is amazing what God is doing in your life. How God has protected you from the enemy. How you are walking out and being light in a dark world. That is an amazing testimony. God protects you. Be willing to share that. Let people know what Jesus is doing in your life. You know, if we came up with a cure for cancer or a cure for COVID, that would be great, but that would be temporal. We have a cure for eternity, and we can share it with everybody. He says, so that you may be able to answer everyone. How do you answer the adversaries of Jesus Christ? You can't answer them if you're not in their world. Why do you believe what you do? Point to Scripture. Tell them your story. And maybe they're going to ask you a random question and it's going to be so hard that you can't answer it. Be honest. I'll get back to you. And don't look at that as failure. Look at that as opportunity to start another conversation. That's the joy. And I am not saying here this morning that in any way, shape, or form that you should uh, start being like the world, adapting their sinful ways. I'm not saying that. If you struggle with something, then you shouldn't be in that kind of situation. But understand this. There's a whole lot of people that do not know Jesus that are not in those situations that need someone to share Sharing the good news of Jesus is all about him and what he has done in my life. It's not some kind of deceptive philosophy. It's not hollow. It is truth in a world that does not know truth. And it is what we are called to share. If we are going to be a church that is prayerful, missional, we need to share. Go into all the world. Your world. He's not asking you to go to Pakistan. He's not asking you to even go to Chicago. He's asking you to go to your world, and you all have different worlds. And maybe that world today is as simple as going out for lunch and sitting down, and the waitress comes to you, or the wait staff, better be politically correct, comes to you and says, can I take your order? And as you have interaction at the end of that, say, you know, I'm just wondering, what can I pray for you about this week? That's your world. It's not hard. If we are going to be a church that is prayerful, missional, relational, we have to realize, and if I step on toes right now, I'm okay with that because this is a passion of mine. 
this is not a country club. None of you had, or most all of you did not have to fob to get in. There, we are not a secret organization. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed. And we need to be the light of the world. And it starts today when you and I walk out those doors. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. I'm not a proclaiming Bill. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with our servants as your servants for Jesus' sake. You and I can't save anybody, and it's not about us. It's all about him. So the question is, how will you pray to be on mission? What does that look like even in your life as you leave here today? What will your identity look like as you start to be more and more missional? Those are only questions that you can answer. And it starts with being prayerful and then becoming missional. Let's become that church.